0: Uh, My name is Joel. I'm honored to serve you. Um, I invite you to turn in your Bible or on your devices or it's printed also in your bulletin to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 15. We read our Bibles every Sunday morning. We see this as actually a personal invitation to know Jesus Christ, our God and the Father who sent Him. We've been seeing John's concern is about us having personal with with the Father and with the Son, and also that we have hearts full of love for God. And I think John would remember well Jesus' final lesson in the Jerusalem temple. Do you guys remember that? During the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus was very active in the temple. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he went straight to the temple, and he scouted it out. Next day... He went in and he drove out the money changers, right? And he said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. Then he has face-off after face-off with these religious leaders over taxes, over his identity. He also gave lessons to the people, teaching them. It was really a blur if you're John or one of the disciples following Jesus. Do you remember his final lesson to his disciples in the temple? This is God's final lesson before the glory departs the temple forever. It happened in the women's court. In this court, there were 13 treasury chests. There were these boxes and they had this funnel, this this bronze funnel that went down into it and folks would throw their coins into the bronze funnel, which guided them into the cavity below. Before Jesus leaves the temple for the first time, Jesus sits down. And he watches people giving. Mark 1241 says, many rich people were putting in large sums. And remember, it's Passover week, so this is it's packed. There are thousands of people. Can you imagine? They're all in line, dumping wads, gobs of money into these funnels. It probably sounded like machine gun fire. <laughs> Jesus watching them one after another and he's just sitting and watching watching and then all of a sudden there's a little pause and you hear this plink plink and jesus jumps up and says there it is that's what i'm talking about guys jesus says in mark twelve forty three, truly i say to you this poor widow has just put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Do you think that John and the disciples were surprised to hear that Miss Plink Plink was the number one temple benefactor? And you know, two copper coins are not going to go very far towards the maintenance of this gigantic temple structure. Why did Jesus highlight this poor widow has just invested all that she has? Jesus wants them and he wants us to take our eyes off worldly wealth and earthly glory and see what truly delights our Father. The greatness of a heart that loves our Father with everything. A widow who could let go of the few material goods that she had at the end of her life because she believed that God had something far greater in store for those who love him. Friends, you can know that you know and love God when you begin more and more to hold fast to that eternal fellowship that God offers us in Jesus Christ, then you hold on to this dying world. Let's pray that we might take that in. Lord, our time is short. Our need is great. Will you do something monumental in these moments we have? Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from First John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever." Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all were not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. If you read John's Gospel... John actually never names himself, but he calls himself again and again, the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, at first blush, that sounds arrogant, doesn't it? I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Why doesn't he identify himself as the one who loved Jesus? Many people, many Christians, how do you know you're a Christian? Because I love Jesus. How come John doesn't do that? Because the good news, my friends, is not that we have loved God but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's 1 John 4.10. That's where we actually began chapter 2. Our personal relationship with God begins with God's love reaching out to us where we're at. And John wants for us, more than anything, to be able to begin to reciprocate that love, to have that kind of fellowship with the Father and the Son, which is why here in chapter 2, John is calling us to examine our relationship To understand our relationship with God, what is true subjectively in my heart, John actually gives us three objective tests, external tests, to monitor what's going on in the inside by looking at what's going on in the outside. Test number one we saw was trust and obey. Knowing God is volitional. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's John 14, 15. Test number two we saw was the love test. Knowing God is emotional, ethical. Evidence of relationship with Jesus means that we care for those whom he loves. There's no solo Christians. There's only Christians who are in the church who are caring for one another and showing that love for one another. Now, after those two tests, John knows that something's happened to about half of us here. We start to examine our lives and we just start to wither, right? the test of obedience, the test of my love for God. There's actually a church in Laporte I used to serve, and there was this guy who always sat right where Lucinda sat, row two, right there. And when I would read the preparation for confession, showing our lack of love, our lack of obedience, I would peek out at him because almost always his lip would start to tremble when I started to read this. Sometimes a tear would well up in his eye and start trickling down his cheek. (laughs) I'd see his sorrow over his sin, i want to hurry up and get to the part you know the good news that god forgives the brokenhearted. that's where we ended last week after test number one and test number two john actually wrote a little poem that we could remember you know these little catchy things that stay in our heads children adults elderly you of all stripes you're forgiven you know god the word of god abides in you what was john doing there comforting the afflicted and now john's doing the opposite Because the other half of us are not that bothered by our sins. After John comforts the afflicted, he now afflicts the comfortable with a word of warning. This first section here, verses 15 to 17, is crucial because John is actually setting the plate for the third test. We'll introduce this today and we're going to come back to it next week. But test number three is our doctrine. Knowing God is informational, intellectual, it holds firm to truth in a world where the Antichrist spirit is seeking to spread lies about who God is or that he's not there at all. I know many people hate doctrine. Doctrine divides. But friends, knowing truths, knowing facts is crucial to any relationship. So you see, the intellect actually sets the stage. 20 years ago, I needed facts about Jamie, my wife. So I asked around. I needed some information about her life before the drama of true encounter could occur. There are truths about who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus. That's the gospel. And if you don't accept them, you know what you're doing? You're creating a God of your own making. It's actually the reason why John notes many depart from the church in this text here. That's why every Sunday we have a confession of faith. Notice what John's saying here in this text. Verse 20, he says, We have knowledge. Verse 21, We know the truth. Verse 23, we must confess the Son in order to have the Father as well. Verse 23, and it all comes down to this, what it means that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 22, God's anointed one. That's what the Christ means, his Messiah. What this means is that the Son of God, by the way, God is spirit, became man, matter, like us to save us. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, one person in two natures. And if you don't believe that, you do not know the Father or the Son. Now John knows here what he's setting us up for. He knows we lean in one of two directions, towards the spiritual or towards the material. This is what all the other religions you can search out there do. It's also what science does, which can be a religion for some people. Only Christianity affirms both. Both matter and material are good and are being redeemed by God and Jesus Christ. Because the son of god came down became flesh and was raised from the dead and you know where jesus is now he's not some ethereal spirit he's upstairs in heaven in a supernaturalized body and you too will have a supernaturalized body and be in fellowship with the father forever if you hold fast to that truth now in this letter john is primarily concerned with false teachers called the gnostics these are folks who reject the incarnation God would not come down and become flesh, this crude matter. Physical matter, the physical world is bad. God would never stoop so low. Now, we're going to look at that more next week, but John also has to deal with materialists. That's today's text. They'd say, these folks, Jesus was only a man. Yeah, a very good man. Maybe even the greatest man ever. But he couldn't die for sins or be raised from the dead because there's no other reality other than this. That's what many believe of Jesus today. And they would say, science proves that Jesus couldn't have this. That's actually why our denomination left the mainline Presbyterian church. Pastors did not have to believe in the virgin birth, in the miracles, in the resurrection. That's why we left the PCUSA. They will say, many of them, Jesus is a good role model. He helps us to find our full potential as humans. But this material world is really all there is. And then you die. So be a good person and enjoy the journey. Live for your own happiness. And to this John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And somebody's saying, wait a minute, Pastor Joel. What about our declaration of pardon? John 3.16. Written by the same guy, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves the world intensely. I mean, he gave his son... But we're not to love the world? What's going on here? Well, actually, what's going on is we have the same word being used two different ways, and we have this in English all the time. We make some of our jokes kind of fun. So, children, what did the duck say when the waiter gave him a check? Put it on my bill. I thought that was funny. Let me try again. (laughs) Why don't pirates know the alphabet? because they keep getting lost at sea. (laughs) All right, I know that's not that funny. I'll have a cat joke next time for you, Candy. But that joke, actually, pirates lost at sea, that's not funny unless you know that sea is not just a letter, but it's a place that pirates get lost, right? And we can get lost if we don't understand that John means the same word in two different ways. World means two different things. In John 3.16, John speaks of, People on the world. That's the main point of that verse. The Father sent His Son so that people, the world, might believe in His Son and have eternal life. That means Christians should love the world because the world is people, when we understand it that way. That's why God wanted us to plant a downtown church and not a church out in the country. Why is that, Joel? Because God loves people. And there are more people in the city than there are out in the country. We love the world like the Father by loving as many people as we can. Here, though, in First John, he's speaking of a different world we're not to love or the love of the Father is not in us. And world here is the world system under Satan's power, the prince of the power of the air who's filling our atmosphere with lies so we can't see clearly. We can call this worldliness, which makes this age and the things of it, the matter, ultimate. Matter is all that matters, is what this is. So, we love the world people, but we don't love the world with this materialist mindset. And this is crucial. And I'm making a deal about this because many Christians here don't love the world and they end up like the pirates out at sea. The Amish do this, right? They flee civilization, they reject technology. Why? In order to be more spiritual. But it doesn't work. I've worked with a lot of Amish guys who curse people and love porn, watching it at break time. That's a worldly mindset. The desires of the eyes, actually, John's talking about here. Because both sins are in opposition to how God loves the world people. Some Baptists, they'll say alcohol, <laughs> dancing, or any art that is not done by and for Christians, well, that's bad. But the things in and of themselves are not bad. We read from Psalm 104, we read from that earlier, where God is praised for his wisdom in all of creation. In verse 15, we read God gave all, wine to gladden the hearts of men. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4.4 For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. When God created this world, Genesis 1 everything he says again and again it is good, it is good, it is good. Nothing in this world is bad if we receive it with thankfulness and we're seeking to make it holy to God. God created things and he provided us pleasures. Why? So that we would love him more. If we keep our eyes fixed on him as we enjoy the gifts, then in fact, we have this much more relationship with God because we see how gracious he is. The problem here is when we love these things, this world, these pleasures, more than we love God. That inhibits and stops our relationship. We can't adopt the delusion of Satan and say that matter is all that matters. Friends, we live in a world that is hostile to God. It's alienated from him. It is led by the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit that wants you to worship anything other than God. John actually ends this letter. Little children, keep yourself from idols. John is saying we can't turn good things into God things. If we live for them, you don't love the Father. The love of the Father is not in you. Now, it got kind of quiet here after my jokes. It may be that we're too comfortable in this world, and friends, we're about to be afflicted. We actually live in a culture that calls itself a consumer culture. Think about that. We describe ourselves like walking stomachs. Feed me! Feed me! Right? Right? Our economy thrives on people trained to think that they exist for more and more stuff. It's a big challenge of making disciples because everybody who walks through this door is already a well-seasoned disciple of consumerism. It's actually what John warns us about in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Actually, does this sound familiar? I've been in Genesis 3 a lot, haven't I? Remember, the serpent tempted Eve with that forbidden fruit, and Eve turns away from God to the fruit in Genesis 3, 6, and it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It appealed to her flesh, it was attractive to her eyes, and she saw that it would give her power, status. Instead of trusting God and obeying, loving her husband, test two, she believed a lie and adopted the materialistic mindset that Satan was handing to her. And she and Adam went from intimate fellowship with God in a perfect world to those now serving Satan for stuff that never satisfies Friends, I don't think we get how bad this is. We've heard it so many times. But we'd have no idea what they lost. They had perfect communion and fellowship with the Father in a world with no stain of sin, no hurt, no brokenness, no shame. When they were banished, those two were the saddest human beings to ever walk the planet. And John's saying, don't walk their path it only gets worse and worse and worse so let's briefly explore these three temptations we first have the desires of the flesh and the word for desire here which we find twice it's epithymia in the greek epi actually means over it's over desires it's intense desires it's beyond desire it means we desire too much it's a controlling desire that masters think of an epidemic and how it spreads. The intensity at the epicenter of an earthquake. You see, the desire itself is not a problem. You see, God gave us desires. You know what your desires are? They're homing beacons to heaven. Every desire you have is actually pointing to eternity, a completeness of joy in union with God the Father and the Son. C.S. Lewis once wrote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Our desires signal us that we're made for something more. And I think we get this better if we get older. I think John's getting this. He comes off, he's like this, right? Because he's about 80 or 90 years old at this time. I'm only half of John's age, but I understand that the older you get, the less of an idealist you are about the world and what it can do for you. (laughs) See Mike laughing back there. Sorry, Mike. (laughs) You're just filled with less and less optimism about what the things of this world can do for you. You see, the desires are fine, but the over desires of the flesh is a problem. This is a life ruled by the senses. Think about your temptations the temptations we have to sex, to drink, to food, to fun. These are the desires young folks struggle with more, right? It's the ones they celebrate in their songs. How about everybody's working for the weekend? We work so we can party. That's why you exist. Here's why you exist. Work, play, work. Actually, it's work, 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 play, play. Work, 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 play, play. If that describes you, let me just pull a Dr. Phil on you for a minute. How's that working for you? (laughs) Is it any wonder we have a society that is so busy that we're falling apart with exhaustion? Why do we have so many folks wrapped up in addictions, in workaholism to feed the addictions, this never-ending pattern? We don't live to eat, we eat to live. Why do people live for sex? Why do they live for games? You see, worldliness, what it does, is it turns God's image bearers into beasts of prey. Read Psalm 73, verse 22. Actually, I used to have a wolf dog a long time ago. great big dog. And you know what he lived for? To hunt the unfortunate creatures that ventured inside the fence. But he used to do something really disgusting when he found a dead animal. He'd roll around in it every time he found one in order to hide his own scent so that he could prey on others. That's what we're doing. When we allow our desires of the flesh to rule us, that is what you're doing. We cannot roll around in a dying world for those kinds of things and say that we know God. So what's the solution? The eternal perspective, which keeps desires in their proper place. Recognizing that sex is for marriage between a man and a woman, and it points us to future union with Jesus Christ, Ephesians 5. It's recognizing that every meal we eat, we're going to have one in a little bit. is pointing us to the great supper of the Lamb. It's recognizing that every good gift God gives us is pointing us to something far better. This is a huge help. Because if I'm single and I'm not having sex, I can be all right with that. I'm not missing out on what is ultimate. Despite what the world tries to tell me, the best is yet to come. In his love, God has prepared something better for me. All of us are on our way to a wedding if we're a Christian. Now I can choose to be better than Eve and simply wait, trust, and obey. Because what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived is the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. 1 Corinthians 2. So let's move on to over-desires of the eyes. This is you being captured by the outward show. Considering... Everything you see is ultimate and not recognizing the true eternal value in things. This is being enamored by what is flashy, glitzy, glamorous, seductive, what is posh. So where does your mind go when you hear those descriptions? My mind actually went to my mom when I was a little child. She used to tell me, Joel, turn off the boob tube, which was the television. Turn off the boob tube because I was watching it too much. That's actually taken on a new meaning in our day because... I turn on the TV and know what I see? A whole lot of famous folks who are boobs. Who are the stars today? Who are the heroes being followed by our youths? Most folks are flashy on the outside, but they have very little talent and a whole lot less character. And we're obsessed with them. We ooh over a guy who can throw or hit a ball really hard. We spend hours watching our sports heroes. And then we invest in our kids, train them to be like them. We don't train them in character and morality. We train them so that they can be a great sports star. We covet how the stars look, what they, what they have that we don't. We want to look like people that we see on television. Advertisers keep us glued to our screens, teasing our eyes with all these things we don't really need, telling us how we have to look. In order to be accepted, they're telling us we live to be noticed. Some of us, let's just be honest, we're consumed with how we look, the clothes we wear. We stare in the mirror for hours, we spend lots of dollars to try and look a certain way in public. We dare not go out if we don't look a certain way. Now I'm meddling, aren't I? (laughs) Let me ask this Would Jesus be impressed? Would Jesus be impressed with how much makeup, how much time you spend on your fixing up your figure? Jesus, when you read the Gospels, when I read the Gospels, he has a completely different set of eyes than us. He isn't captivated by what we look at. When he saw the poor widow, he was ignoring the superficial. Nobody else even saw her but him. Aren't we glad that Jesus ignores the superficial? He saw into people what his father saw. Jesus walked this world with x-ray vision. Friends, he's looking right through a lot of us right now to your true self. and He wants access. He wants to speak to that true self in you. And we as Christians, this is what we should have eyes for, just like Jesus. Loving people with x-ray vision. Like Jesus, we don't fixate on the outside of a person what is attractive We look at people's souls. Francis Lewis is right when he says, every person you meet, you never encounter a mere mortal. Every person one day you meet will either become a forever nightmare or a glorious new creation beyond your imagination that if you weren't fully sanctified, you'd be tempted to fall down to worship. That's the two paths we're heading on. And every time we run into someone, we're pushing them into one or two directions. So you can't look at the superficial. move lastly to the pride of life and this refers to what you have to your resources some of us are proud of how we look our skills our abilities our position we find security in how many possessions we have so we spend our lives trying to build our empire it's pride it's the sin actually under every sin and it's from the pit of hell I'll use an illustration. Leo Tolstoy, he has a story called, How Much Land Does a Man Need? It's a story about a man named Pakham, who loved having land, but he never had enough. And he heard about this tribe off in the far away that had this fertile land that was for sale for cheap. So he went to their chief and said, I want as much land as I can get for 1,000 ruples a day. Or The chief told him, you can have as much land as you want for a 1,000 ruples a day. And Pakham was kind of surprised. He didn't understand. A thousand rupals a day, I can have as much land as I want. The chief said, well, for a thousand rupals, you can have as much land as you can walk around in one day. You must start at one spot at sunrise and then return to the same spot before the sun sets. Pakham smiles and he thinks, I've got enough resources. I'm strong enough. I can cover 35 miles in one day. So the next day he gets up early. The chief's there when the sun comes over the horizon, drops his hat and Pockham's off, he's running. And he can't help but see the land, it gets richer and richer the further he goes. It's full of rivers, full of trees. So he greedily goes just a little bit further on the first leg than he planned. He soon realizes he's bit off a little more than he could chew, so he picks up the pace. He eventually tosses off his coat, and eventually he reaches a second marker late afternoon. He now realizes he's in real trouble, so he's really sprinting to that third spot. And he gets there, he marks it off in a flash, and he begins hightailing it back to the hat, to the chief comes over the top of that hill and the sun is setting. And he sees the hat, the place he began. And he realizes he has to get every last bit that he has inside himself. So he charges, lets everything out the tank go. As the sun dips over the horizon, he dives and grabs the hat, boom, nick of time. And the tribe gathers around him, they're cheering, saying, Pock'em, pock'em, thirty five miles, this is more land than anyone has ever accomplished in a single day. And they raise him up and they see blood's coming out of his mouth has died. So they get out the shovels, and they give him all the man, land that a man needs, just enough to bury him. The pride of life led to his death. Jesus once said to this apostle John, "For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul?" And Jesus showed John in a 35-acre temple how to invest, when he pointed out Mrs. Plink Plink, the widow who gave all she had to live on because she was in love with God. And John uses the same Greek word Jesus did there. The word for life is bios. Quite literally, Jesus says this widow gave her whole life. The disciples thought she was just pouring in, putting in two coins. That was all they saw with these eyes. But Jesus said that she had just given her whole life out of love to God by this action. The word bios means life in this present age. John's actually been using a different word for life, zoe, when he talks about eternal life. Next week we'll hear this. But zoe speaks to life in its essential principle, the greater, life in the age to come. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We have a bios. And Zoe, eternal, is being offered to us. Friends, this world is waning. That's what this final verse says, as are its desires. Friends, we need to be in God's word to know his will. And a help to us will be to memorize and meditate on our October verse to remember. It's at the bottom of your bulletin. I really want us to get this verse into our hearts, to meditate on it, to memorize it, so that we can take this in so that we can better know God's will for our lives. Let's all recite together Romans twelve two: do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We hear in this, we can't be conformed to this world All our worldly desires at their core attempts to find satisfaction, joy, acceptance. What they're doing, we're all looking for love, friends. And if we try to find it in this world, we're looking for love in all the wrong places, as one country singer said. Because this world is passing away. You know, what's amazing? This woman, this widow, didn't know the temple was about to pass away. That's the very next thing Jesus says. She's just invested two coins in something that's passing away. Nor did this woman realize that the true temple was watching her. The true temple was watching her and about to give his life for her. But she did understand something that Jesus is trying to teach us this morning. Loving means giving. Giving our lives, our whole lives. As John was about to discover a few days later when Jesus gave his life on the cross for John the apostle who is loved by Jesus. It comes down to, friends, rejecting the Antichrist and believing what God says is true in his word. The world, just like Satan said in the garden, says, God doesn't love you, so take from this world and try and find it here. The question for you is, are you going to believe that lie? It's going to come at you heavy this week, like it does all week long here in our culture. Or are you going to hold truth fast to what God says? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Friends, God did not hold back when he loved us to open the door for fellowship. And we get that? It's easy. It's a delight. It's a joy to give ourselves. In fact, this life will fast pass like that. Remember Jacob for that wife he wanted? Seven years. He didn't care. He loved her so much. That's what we want. This woman, this widow came to the temple to give God her all because she believed something was more real than her material possessions. She trusted all God's Old War, Old Testament word that she'd rise, Daniel 12, Isaiah 25. And she knew she wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, Psalm 23. So friends, the most important question of our lives is whether we know God, whether we know him intimately, and whether we're going to start giving ourselves more and more to him in the same way he's given himself to us. This is what love is. We're in her th- just for a moment. I'm 48. I'm going to be 88 if I reach that that quick. I know how it's going. It goes faster and faster. What are we going to do with the offer of friendship with our eternal God? Do you want to know lasting joy? Let's pray we do. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for bringing us here this morning, for speaking to us through your Son. For giving us your Holy Spirit that we might take in these precious promises that you're offering us glory beyond what we could ever ask for or imagine. And that is fellowship with you, being in your presence for all of eternity, where we will know joys everlasting, where we will know peace, where we will know what it means to belong, where we will see as we look back how we were able to do mattering things because you gave us the ability to do so. We want to thank you. We want to give you our all. <laughs> it's just strange because we're, we're kind of like a son asking his father for money, to borrow money so that we can give you a present. We want to give you our lives. You've given us everything. So, Father, will you equip us and help us to turn from the things of this age, the spirit of Antichrist. Help us by the spirit of Christ to live and walk in a different way so that we might do mattering things and show people our love for you, something like that widow once did long ago. We pray this in Jesus' name.